Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Exurga Deus Discipentur de Nemici Eius, et Fugiancur Derunteum Maface Eius. Let God arise, and let his enemies be scattered. Let all those who hate him flee from before his face. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. Let's get started with a prayer. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Sancta Michael Arcangela, defende nos in proelio. Contra nequitiam et insidias diaboli est opraecidium. Imperetili Deus supplicas de precamur, tuque princeps militae calestis, satanam aliosque spiritus malignos que ad perditionem animarum, pervegantur in mundo divina virtute, in infernum trude. Amen. Cordiesu sacratissimum miserere nobis, mater dolorosa, ora pro nobis, sancti Iosef, ora pro nobis, beatus carolus domo Austriae, ora pro nobis. Domine, ostende facem tuum et salvierimus, Ave Maria Purissima, Immaculato Conceptio Est. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. As an opener, I want to apologize if you can hear the fan in the background, but the weather's getting a little bit warmer, and, well, <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do. There's something that I've begun to notice as I was going through ironically, uh, documentary YouTube videos that the further I delve into it and the broader I cast the net across, I'm beginning to notice that we're getting a galactic brain drain across our society. And I don't just mean our society, I mean the whole of society at large. Not just America, but around the world. There is a sort of mental retardation that is slowly overtaking our populace. And it's in large part due to a failure to see truth. What do I mean? Proponents of the Young Earth Theory or creationists, as they're better known, can look at things like a mountain range and see 
how that mountain range was fashioned in a completely different manner from those who subscribe to any of the variations of Darwinian evolution. And the reason for that is you're operating from a revealed truth. And by operating from a revealed truth, you start with what you absolutely know to be true, and then you look out at the world based on that. So for example, radiocarbon dating. Radiocarbon dating can actually only reach back accurately um, to right around 30 or 40,000 years. If the starting content of, of carbon-14, the actual radioactive carbon, is known. What does that mean? That means if you, take, if, if you were to take a block of pure uh, carbon-14, and you go, okay, this is a brand new block of carbon-14, and it is 15 grams. So over the course of its half-life, it would decay and decay and decay. Well, the thing is, is that if you know that it's 15 grams, that it started with, then when you come out with a certain amount of detectable radiocarbon, you can accurately calculate how old that item is because carbon-14 decays. Simultaneously, it's the same thing with any form of the, radi of the radiometric dating, like using uranium or any of the, or literally any radioactive isotope on the periodic chart, okay? But the key to knowing how old an item is, the key to knowing exactly how old a fossil or a, well, let's go rock or whatever. The key to knowing how old that is, is knowing what the starting content of radioactive material, of the specific radioactive material that you're looking for is. Otherwise, it's a crapshoot. We have assumptions that we can make, and we can kind of sort of, you know, and some of them are safe. <clears throat> if you know where the paper stock came from for a particular piece of parchment, and you know what the chemical composition was of that paper stock when it was made, then that's, you know, that's fairly easy to calculate and to confirm. And, radio, and radiometric dating is good for confirming the ages of known things. If you don't know what the starting content was, you cannot accurately date the material. And it's, it should be pretty obvious. Oh, this, this Tyrannosaurus rex thigh bone is 25 million years old. Well, how do you know that? Well, we radiocarbon dated it. Well, there's a problem. If it were 25 million years old, there would be zero carbon-14 in it. And after, and according to the half-life of, of carbon-14, after 10,000 years, you wouldn't be able to detect. You wouldn't be able to detect not a single atom of carbon-14. Because we don't have the equipment capable of doing such a thing. So what does that mean? Well, quite simply, 
you didn't radiocarb, you didn't carbon date it at all. You couldn't have. And that's why we have <clears throat> the story, and I say the story because they did a fantastic job in doing everything that they could to try to, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, hide. They did everything that they could to hide the discovery of a, of a dinosaur bone that had soft tissue still in the marrow. And a fossil that still had soft tissue within. And everything we know scientifically about soft tissue, no, we know that it doesn't stay soft for more than 4,000 years. I'm going to say that again. The soft tissue that you would find in bone marrow doesn't say, stay soft for more than 4,000 years. Well, now that's a problem because that clearly means that that T-Rex thigh bone, assuming it was in fact a T-Rex thigh bone, and it's possible, even likely. <clears throat> I don't know the site that it came from. I don't know. I don't know how they found the bone. I simply know that somebody dropped it. It broke, and they found soft tissue, red soft tissue. And if it is in fact fact that soft tissue such as that cannot be preserved for longer than four thousand years. then we have a really big problem. And that really big problem is that that dinosaur cannot be 25 million years old. But if the Earth is young, that bone could easily be somewhere in the 4,000-year-old range. Because according to the calendar that's laid out by the book of Genesis, the earth, is, the earth, prior to the birth of Christ, was only 4,400 years old. Huh. Well, that's weird. You have a dinosaur bone that may prove the young earth Hypothesis. Odd. The other thing that they have a problem with is they have this tendency to say, oh, well, based on the number of layers of dirt and this, that, and the other, if you go down a certain depth, then you're going back in time a certain period of time. Which I suppose would be mostly okay, except they have this nasty tendency to find impossible things at impossible depths. They tried to do the same thing with ice. They tried to make that same assessment, that same assignment. Well, the problem was is that they'd, they unearthed a World War II fighter plane that according to ice dating, that whole layer, that whole tree ring style dating system that they use for ice, according to the ice date, that World War II fighter plane 
was built around the same time as the fall of Carthage. Well, that's a problem. Because that World War II fighter plane, you might have been able to make the case, except that it had its date of manufacture stamped right on the data plate. Which means that which we think we know about how physics and nature work has to be edited. Our assumptions based on theories that are specifically based on a premise that there is no God are consistently, time and again, refuted by visible, obvious fact. So what do they do? Instead of revising the systems, because they absolutely need for creation to be a lie. They need it to be a myth. They need it to be a legend. They need it to be a piece of fantasy. They need the book of Genesis to be a work of fiction instead of a poetic presentation of a scientific and historical reality. Because if it's a poetic presentation of a scientific and historical reality, then God is real. And if God is real, well, they've built their lives on the idea that God was false, that God didn't exist. And that means that a reckoning surely this way comes, particularly for each of them. I'd like to feel sympathy for that, but the fact is, is I cannot. Because what is happening is their stone-cold, dogged determination to say that God does not exist is causing them to hold on to theories about the way the universe works that doesn't work. If the flood narrative, the presentation of the flood story, is true, then the mountain ranges that we see on Earth, they're not the result of tectonic shift. They're the result of the surrounding area sinkholing. Why? Because if you look at the description about how God created the Earth, then there's an easy mechanism to determine exactly how the flood started. See, it began to rain, but something had to cause the rain. Well, how? Also, those of us who have seen the floods Particularly in the mid-90s when they were rampant, it seemed like every year the, the Mississippi River was flooding and, over, and overtaking its banks and messing everything up. It's actually possible for the floods to start to recede almost immediately after 
almost immediately after the rain stops. You get your high water mark actually while the, while the rain itself is still falling. And then it begins to recede, typically right at the end of the storm. Well, in the narrative about the Great Flood, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, and we know this because that's what it says. We also know that the flood remained for 150 days. Well, what would explain that? What would be the easy ways to explain that? Because here's the thing, it started to rain and immediately the floodwaters began. If you look at this, if you look at the story, in fact, let's look at the story. We should take a moment. I'll read it for, to you from the Dewey Rain. From Genesis chapter seven. And the Lord said to him, Go in, go, <clears throat> go in thou and all thy house into the ark, for to for thee I have seen just before me in this generation. Of all the clean beasts, take seven and seven, the male and the female. But of the beasts that are unclean, two and two, the male and the female. Of the fowls of the air, and the seven, uh, seven and seven, and the male and the female. That the seed may be saved upon the face of the whole earth. For yet a while, and after seven days, I will reign upon the earth forty days and forty nights. And I will destroy every substance that I have made from the face of the earth. And Noah did all these things, all things which the Lord had commanded him. And he was six hundred years old when the waters of the flood overflowed the earth. And Noah went in and his sons, his wife and the wives of his sons, with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood. And of beasts, clean and unclean, and of fowls, and everything that moveth upon the earth, two and two, went in to Noah, went in to Noah into the ark, male and female, as the Lord had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the seven days were passed, the, after the seven days were passed. <laughs> the waters of the flood overflowed the earth. In the 600th year of his life, Noah, in the second month and the 17th day of the month, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the floodgates of heaven were opened, and the rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. Key term, right here. All the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the floodgates of heaven were opened. What does that mean? That means water not only fell from the sky, but it also came out of the earth. Someone with something broke the global water table. Now, there's a few easy ways to do that. In fact, uh, Kent Hovind, a ridiculously Protestant pastor guy type person, um, you can, act, I think you used to be able to find him on drdino.com. I think his website was, was drdino.com, D-R-D-I-N-O.com. Um, he might still be there. He might not. I don't know. 
As I understand it, he was thrown into prison for tax evasion, which is typically... I mean, he may have been evading taxes, but this is also right around the same time that he's completely challenging the scientific establishment, and we all know how loving and caring the scientific establishment is. <laughs> when you challenge everything they believe. So, <clears throat> what he posits is that when the Earth was formed, it was formed with a shell of ice around the outside that diffused and reflected most of the radiation. Without radiation, you don't, you actually have a reduction, without the solar radiation directly hitting you, and oh hey, by the way, water is a spectacular radiation reflector. In fact, it's nearly perfect. Without the radiation, there would have been very little mutation. There would have been very little degeneration of our DNA, our genetic form, because it actually takes radiation, and, and specifically solar radiation, is one of the things that causes our genes to decay, which is where you get the genetic entropy that has already been recorded by many, many atheistic scientists. But without that radiation, our DNA doesn't decay. So it stands to reason that early on, prior to, the, prior to the flood, there was probably some semblance of an ice shell around the Earth. Okay, reasonable. A little bit lofty. You go, are you telling me that the, that the world was actually some kind of Dyson sphere? Well, I mean, if that's the way God wanted to create it, I suppose he would, wouldn't he? I wasn't there, so I can't say for sure. But what I can say is that if you broke an ice shell that was sufficiently high enough and sufficiently thin enough or whatever, and I'm, in all seriousness, it wouldn't take a whole it wouldn't take a terribly thick layer of ice. You might you might literally be talking about a layer of ice that might only be maybe 5 or 6 feet thick. Remember, we're talking about a layer of ice that would be shaped in the shape of a dome or a sphere, and so it would actually press press on itself and anyway, it would be very much like an igloo only giant. But that would also mean that it would be relatively frail. And you could easily throw a rock right through it. A small meteor, nothing too major, but you could easily do so. Even if it were thicker, and here's the reason why I don't think it was too much thicker than that if it would have been, or if, if assuming there is actually an ice layer around the outside, is because if it would have been, then it would have been not just rain, but hail. It would have been giant chunks of ice falling out of the sky. It's very unlikely that that's how that necessarily worked. But it is a supposition, and it's not necessarily one that I subscribe to, but given the hypothesis, how that would work is something would smash through the ice, it would crack the, it would crack the shell, the shell would fragment, fall down into the atmosphere, the ice would melt on the way down, turn into rain, and sploosh. However, you would also need something to fracture the water table under which all of the fountains 
were found to cause them to well up and gush out all over the world. And once that welled up and once that came up and gushed out and flooded the entire earth, it'd only take approximately 150 days for everything to really to, to restabilize. Keep in mind that while this is happening, sections of the earth are falling into what is now the ocean. Man woman and child are getting swept out into that ocean and their bodies are decaying and feeding the various life forms, etc. and also providing the overall chemical, the overall newfound brackish chemical composition of the ocean. It would have been fresh water before and with that extent of life, particularly of animalia, uh, of genus animalia, would have actually caused effectively a poisoning of the waters, which is why you can't drink seawater, and it's why the overall chemical composition of seawater, notwithstanding the plastics that we've dumped into it, is roughly similar to our, the water inside our bodies. Chemically, it's pretty much identical. Now, what does that mean? That means that the mountains that we see, the Rocky Mountains, the Himalayas, um, the various mountain ranges, and even the single solitary mountains like Kilimanjaro, those were the pillars that supported the land on top of the water. And now you've got to be saying, well, surely, Caleb, that couldn't possibly be because dirt's heavier than water, right? No. There are many instances where you can go into caves and you can literally see rock formed out as sheets over the top of water. Now, the funny thing is, is that it's possible for it to form that way from the beginning. But if you break one of those sheets, you will never get the sheet back. Because you've already violated the surface tension of the water. You can Google it. You can find them. There are places where rock literally stretches out over the top of water. This happens very much in caves. It was left there as kind of a, hey, this is how it was put together in the first place. Oh, but it couldn't possibly be that much. Clearly, you've never broken a water table over open. You break the water table and a flood comes out. You can dig down and get you can dig down and create a well and the water can flow up and seep through and you get that nice filtered water. But if you were to break beneath that surface, what ends up happening is the pressure of the the pressure of the earth over top of the water table pushes down into the well the water comes gushing out and you have a giant sinkhole when all is said and done. Do that on a global scale and your sinkhole might rhyme with the Pacific, the Indian, the Atlantic, the Arctic. get the idea?
If you look closely at the mountains, you can see. They weren't eroded over millions of years. The surrounding surface of the earth sank. And they protruded up through like the pillars that they were. And the waters that lashed at them, lashed at them for approximately 150 days. And the sheer volume of water that you're talking about is roughly the same as what happens when you're standing just below the waterline on a beach and the waves lap around your feet. And as that water goes out to sea, your feet sink into the sand because the sand under your feet is sucked out. Same processes. And it would have to happen quickly. Why? Because you would need the mud and the water to over to lap over the entire earth rapidly for fossils to form. Because fossils don't form over millions of years. They form in days and weeks. You take a biological form like a fish. It's killed by a, by a compression wave or some such. Easy to do. People, that's why using dynamite when you're fishing is illegal. <clears throat> it's killed from a compression wave or some such. It, sink, if it's, it sinks down or gets taken down to the bottom, to the bottom of the water body. Soot and sediment settles in over it, thereby preserving it, holding it, and keeping it from slowly decaying over time. What happens if it doesn't get covered? It slowly decays over time, and it all vanishes. All of it. What happens if nothing pins it to the pins it to the to the ground surface under the water? Well, that's easy. The biological processes that are still happening within within it, and I say biological processes, I'm not talking about the fish's anatomy still functioning, but the bacteria and the very and the various microbial life forms continue doing their thing and create gases, which causes the fish's body to float. As the fish's body floats, it goes up, it's nipped on by other, by other things. The gases escape into the air and the flesh sloughs off slowly over time. Even if, if in particular, if there is nothing to actually nip at it, eat it and consume it. And if there's even if there's not, the, my, the microbial life for the the yeah the microbial life will actually eat it from the inside, and it will eventually dissolve into nothing. What you don't get is you don't get fossils. In point of fact, you don't get fossils unless you bury stuff. You don't bury them. They don't fossilize. Now, 
apply that to the stars. We have eight planets and a dwarf planet, two dwarf planets actually, in our solar system. You have one in the, you have, we have one that we know of in the asteroid belt, and then there's Pluto out at the back end. And there are some interesting things in our solar system that we don't tend to take enough account of. Even if the even if the universe was the 14 billion years old that they say it is, there's scant evidence proving that our solar system was arranged in the way that it is by mere happenstance slowly over time. Why, Caleb, what do you mean? Well, Mercury, Earth, and Mars, within the asteroid belt, all rotate in the same direction. Makes sense, I guess. Venus doesn't. Why is that important? Well, because objects in motion remain in motion unless they're altered. So what is it that got Venus spinning the wrong way? Hold on to that thought. Mercury, Venus, and Mars are each very, very different. Now, we assume, or at least they say, it's because Mercury is so close to the sun that anything resembling an atmosphere was blasted off from the immense heat and the explosive force of being that close to the sun. Okay, fine. Venus has a very high density atmosphere. It's larger than the Earth. At least I think it's larger. I think it's twice the size of the Earth, if I remember correctly. Should probably actually check that before I um, before I go saying s silly stuff like that. Let's see. Venus size. Oh no, it's approximately the same size as the Earth. Okay. Few fun facts. The Earth, um, the Earth's radius is, um, Three thousand thirty nine hundred fifty eight miles. It's almost right at it's just shy of thirty nine hundred uh, thirty nine hundred fifty nine miles. Venus is thirty seven sixty. And this is the radius, this is from the center to the outside. Thirty seven sixty. It has a gravity being slightly smaller slightly lower than that of Earth. Okay. The gravity, the, the gravitational acceleration on Venus is 8.87 meters per second squared. Compare that to the Earth's 9.2 meters per second squared. Well, that's reasonable. It's just a little bit smaller than the Earth, and so... It's 
gravity should be a little bit less than the Earth, right? All right. But the atmospheric pressure on Venus with less gravity is so high that when we send stuff there, it breaks. Well, that's odd. Let's see for just a second here. Yep, that's what I was looking for. Okay. <clears throat> the surface pressure for atmosphere is 93 bars. Now, we use Earth's atmosphere as its own... Um, <clears throat> 93 bars. The Earth's atmosphere on a standard day is 92 times, or 192nd of that. Okay? <clears throat> so Venus's atmospheric pressure is 92 times that of the Earth. Its surface temperature is 867 degrees Fahrenheit, which is almost, I mean, it's about half the temperature of the combustion chamber of a jet engine. And it's half the distance between Earth and the Sun. So here, so here's the deal. The, t the scientists say that Mercury had its atmosphere blasted off of it. And yet the very next planet rotates in the wrong direction. Has 92 times the atmospheric pressure as the Earth. Has roughly 89% of the gravity of Earth. Because it's about 89% the size of Earth. So it's a little bit smaller than Earth, it's closer to the sun, and yet the atmospheric pressure is monumentally higher. Monumentally higher than that of the Earth. And suddenly you're like, at some point you have to look and you go, okay, both of these things can't be true. Mars has next to no atmosphere. It's gravity is 40% that of Earth. I mean, it has atmosphere, to be sure, but if you were to go from the pressurized cabin of a, space, of a spaceship and step straight out into Mars without the protective suit to keep, to balance out the pressure and all that, you'd die. You'd almost, you, you would suffer from the bends for about for about 30 seconds, and you would die. How does that make sense? They go, oh, 
Well, it could be this or that or the other. It could, it's possible that the reason why we have the moon is because the moon crashed into the Earth, or like it was originally an extrasolar object, and it crashed into the Earth and knocked off a whole bunch of the atmosphere, and then boom, moon. And I gotta be honest with you, that's reasonable to a degree. You're missing a few things. What direction does the moon rotate compared to that of the, to, compared to the Earth? The moon and the Earth aren't really tidally locked. I think the moon might be close to being tidally locked. I don't know, I don't remember looking. But the atmospheric pressure is so high on Venus, despite the fact that gravity is actually lower on Venus, that the volcanoes that should be shooting debris and this, that, and the other, and creating mountains create pancakes instead. Lava pancakes. There are no tall mountain ranges. If you were, if you were, if you, if it was possible to stand in the heat on Venus, you would scarcely notice the difference between the tallest mountain on Venus and its lowest valley. You could literally walk across them and not even know you're there. Well, now that poses a problem. Seriously, it poses a problem. It's smaller and yet the atmospheric pressure is much, much higher. Now you can look through the composition. It's 96.5% oxygen, or excuse me, uh, carbon dioxide. It's 3.5% nitrogen. It's, you know, trace elements in the less than a tenth of a percent for most of everything else. But carbon dioxide is not that much larger not that much heavier to cause a 92 atmosphere, seriously, 90, 93 bar. The barometric pressure on Earth is measured in millibars. Let me say that again. The, bar the barometric pressure on Earth is not measured in bars, it's measured in millibars. So the first question you have to answer is, how did we get to that? The second question you have to answer is, has to, is how did it end up spinning in the direction that it is compared to Mercury, Earth, and Mars? The next question comes with Uranus, which rolls on its axis. Probably the last question you're probably gonna to have to face in there is how come the gas giants seem to put out more radiation than they receive? In fact, in the case of Jupiter, it puts out more than double the infrared radiation from what it receives from the sun. It actually emits infrared radiation, heat. 
more than twice that it, which it receives. Now, some say it's because the interior is spinning so fast and you got the olive and you've got the friction of the various atmospheric layers, and that's cool, that's fine. But why? Why is that happening? Why is the rotation of Jupiter so fast that it causes the various layers of atmosphere to cause friction against one another? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Why? And if our assessment, our assumptions about all of those things are wrong, because here's the thing, at the end of the day, you're still stuck with the objects in motion remain in motion. Objects at stasis remain in stasis. And there has to be something to set everything in motion and you have to think about the cataclysmic proportions that you need to put in to cause something like Uranus to rotate to have its plane of rotation rotated 90 degrees. You have to have some monumentally catastrophic thing happen to either reverse the rotation of the Earth and Mars and Jupiter and so on and so forth, or you need something monumental to reverse the rotation of Venus, and there has to be something there that would explain the relatively low atmospheric density of Earth, Mars, and Mercury, which seem to be in scale with each other, and the astronomically high atmospheric pressure of Venus. Which also which by the way, that extremely high atmospheric pressure on Venus means de facto. It is not rotating backwards because anything hit it. Because if something would have hit it hard enough to cause it to spin in the opposite direction, it would have knocked all of that atmosphere off. 
And as soon as you force an actual scientist to focus on these and try to determine what would have made it happen and then actually go through and say, well, what about this? And what about that? And what about this? And what about that? And make sure to actually call out the little idiosyncrasies that seem to destroy the entire intellectual proposition. And remember to hit that joker with Occam's razor, meaning that you must make the lowest number of assumptions Well, when you do all of that, you only have to make two assumptions in order to validate the creationist theory. And the first assumption is that God created the universe. And the second assumption is that everything that you see was put there specifically so that you could see that it was God who did it. Two assumptions. That's it. There is a God, and everything that you see that doesn't seem to make sense is proof that it was God who did it. And when I say doesn't make sense, I mean legitimately, no matter how you try to attack the problem to come up with another way to solve it, you just can't. In order for Venus to have the atmosphere that it has. A ball of liquid carbon dioxide would have had to have smacked the planet hard enough to cause it to turn in the other direction. And it would have to be liquid because if it was solid, it would be broken up, and as soon as it broke up, that close to the sun, it would sublimate because carbon dioxide doesn't go liquid. It goes from solid to vapor. Now it's possible that's what happened. The problem is, is that according to everything that we know about the physical sciences, particularly having to do with chemistry, that is not possible. And it would have had to have been a liquid because it would have had to have been something that would have moved and morphed and actually mo motioned around Venus without cracking it in half. And it would have actually had to add to the atmosphere. And so you're tracking. Well, it might have been water. Well, no, it couldn't have been. 96.5% carbon dioxide, 3.5% nitrogen, 0.015% sulfur dioxide, 0.0070% argon, 0.0020% water vapor, 0.0017% carbon monoxide, 0.0012% helium, 0.0007% neon. 
trace carbonyl sulfide, trace hydrogen chloride, trace hydrogen fluoride. So you could conceivably brush your teeth with the atmosphere of Venus. Less than a... <laughs> less than a one-hundredth of a percent of water vapor. In fact, less than half of a one-hundredth of, per, of a percent of water vapor. So definitely not water. Now, why, is, why am I even talking about all of this? That was a very, very long science lesson, and if you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for... A, for coming with me this far. Because here's the thing. If we want to be able to explore, if Elon Musk is actually going to make good on his promises, if large companies like Boeing, which have immense advantages over the average company when it comes to trying to build spaceships, then we have to look at things from a completely different perspective if we're going to achieve those things. Now, maybe you don't want to achieve those things. Maybe you're perfectly happy sitting in your nice home up in the mountains in Idaho or Washington or whatever. Maybe you're perfectly content in the jungles of India or the outback of Australia or the most magnificently wonderful and beautiful savannas of South Africa. Maybe you're perfectly content living your life in the shadow of St. Peter's Basilica. And I will not fault you for that. Not at all. But this resistance to the idea that God created the universe, this absolute antipathy that we have is causing everything to fall apart. It's causing, it's causing us to forget that we were created male and female, despite how obvious it is. It's one of the most basic and most obvious things that you could see. We're forgetting that the family unit is the core unit of every civilization. And we're forgetting how to be civilized one to another because we've been so atomized by people who do not believe in God. We've been so destroyed that we believe that it's perfectly okay, that there are a large enough portion of the population that believes that it's perfectly okay to murder a child in the womb. But if you're not willing to date a trans person, you're a bigot. Do what? Some of us have an affinity for au naturel. Why would I want some mutilated monstrosity when I could have the beauteous perfection of God's creation? And that makes me a bigot? It makes me a bigot to say that we were born, we were created man and woman? Just because you want to put on lipstick and grow out a beard 
and maybe add a pair of maybe add a pair of voluptuous breasts to that Johnson swing in between your legs? Do what? How does that make sense? The fact is it doesn't. And these people who can't even tell a good story because they have to have some strong independent whammon. They have to have some Mary Sue who didn't earn any of her greatness. She was just great to begin with, to lead us. That's not how the human condition works. Man or woman, it's not how the human condition works. You don't just have the powers. The people who have these talents and skills that make them into great people, these vir uh, what's the word? virile and virtuous people, They didn't just have it. They weren't just gifted it. They didn't win cosmological roulette and got the jackpot and had the super smarts and the super strength, the keen athletic ability and a sharp eye for detail. These are skills that are honed. And surely some people have affinities to them. But you still have to hone those skills. I didn't join the army and, and have my entire career being the greatest soldier that ever was. In fact, I was a crap soldier for my early years altogether. And when I first became an NCO, I was a crap NCO. I got good at my job over time. With practice. Practice, practice, practice. There's a story about a woman who attended a, con a, a concert of a symphony orchestra, and she saw the and and she and I guess the first vi the the concert violinist, like the guy, the primo dude who was just like totally awesome. He played his segment of it, and she approached him after the show, and she said, "I would give my entire life, I would give my life to be able to play the violin as good as you do." And his answer, not snark, not ironic. It was simple. I did. He gave his life to be able to play the violin with such magnificence, such beauty. You're not just born a concert violinist. That's not a thing. You're not just born an expert mathematician. That's not a thing. You're not born an expert physicist or microbiologist or veterinarian or soldier or plumber or carpenter. That is not a thing. It takes proper education, proper training. It takes being taught the fundamentals of your profession, whatever that profession is, whether it's mechanics or it's math or it's English, literature, art, painting, 
sculpting, cinematography. It takes, it takes being taught the fundamentals of such a th- of, of of your profession, practicing the fundamentals of your craft, and honing them into magnificence over decades. You may have an aptitude for a thing. Brett Favre had an aptitude for football, but he trained every day. He focused everything he was to be the football player. Same thing goes for Tom Brady. As much as I really dis, as much as I, I'm really not a fan of Tom Brady, and I'm even less of a fan of the Patriots. But the fact is, is that Tom Brady became a legendary level football player because he practiced. He didn't just practice, but he practiced, and then he practiced working as a team, he practiced leading the team, and he practiced with his team. And they practiced. And it gave me the greatest heartache for the longest period of time in American history was watching the Patriots go to the Super Bowl time and time again. But he wasn't born a star quarterback. Now, someone out there is going, well, Caleb, you're making the very same argument for transgenders. No. It takes no skill to cut on yourself. It does take sacrifice, to be sure. But it takes no skill to cut on yourself and dump hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to make a transition that will never be real. At best, you will only ever be a parody of a, of a member of the opposite sex. At best. More likely, you'll simply be a parody of a human being. And that goes for all of them. They're not working at becoming a... It's not about a man working at becoming a woman. There's no amount of work you can put to it. None. And the people who want to say that you can actually become a woman, having never been a woman, having not, not having the genetic predilection, meaning the chromosomes, not having the hormones appropriately assigned, by going in there and fiddling with the chemistry and then making incisions and carving and digging out and mutilating that which God made, the fact is is that those who are out there need to need actually the training and the practice in finding out what it means to be an actual man for those who are men trying to flee to womandom or an actual woman for those women who like the feminists before them try to flee to masculinity as though God could make a mistake. The God who put Venus in its orbit, rotating backwards. The God who put Uranus rolling on its side. The God who made specific mathematical formulas to govern the fractal patterns of ferns. 
If you don't think that's true, I highly recommend that you get on YouTube and you look it up. You just type in mathematical fern. I bet you'll find it. The God who set all of that in motion is the one that wove you together, in, wove you your body together in your mother's womb, breathed life into you, and then set you on your path to be determined by his good graces. That God cared enough to, to weave you together in your mother's womb, breathe a soul into your body when he was busy doing things like making galaxies and canyons and magnificent mountain ranges and birds and beautiful fish and ugly fish setting the stars and the planets and the nebulae up into the sky. That God who created that tapestry of the universe, the whole thing that you can see around you, the magnificent, wondrous beauty, took time out to weave you together and you think that's the God who made a mistake. You'll find you're dumber because of that. Doesn't really actually matter how intelligent you are or you think you are. The fact is, is that, that if that is the conclusion that you've made, if that's the perspective that you're standing from, then you will miss so much about creation that it'll make the, the easy things difficult, the difficult things really difficult, and the true trials and tribulations of the world impossible. It'll make the challenges of overcoming nearly impossible. It'll make the difficulty in doing something that people remember you by impossible. Well, not necessarily. I'll never remember the specific names of the women who mutilated themselves to try and fabricate male items. But I will remember always that they were foolish enough to try. Bruce Jenner did me the favor of eradicating his memory as an Olympic gymnast. I think he was a gymnast. I hope he was a gymnast. Even if he wasn't a, even if he wasn't a gymnast, hey, guess what? That proves my point. He will have eradicated his impact as an Olympic-level athlete, one of the greatest that America ever provided to the world. Because he cut himself up to make himself look like some old crone. And now his legacy is going to be his utter brain-deadedness. And I know brain-deadedness isn't a word. I don't know if you noticed, but occasionally I'll throw in stuff that sounds kind of like you get the idea, but it's definitely not a word. <clears throat> I do that on purpose because there's a specific way I want my sentences to sound. But he's put his brain death out there before the whole world. 
as a mockery of femininity. You know what this age actually looks like? This age looks like the age of Baphomet. If you don't know what if you don't know what that demon looks like, well good for you. You managed to get by. But if you look closely at the images of that demon, that's exactly what's going on in this world. It's very clearly a goat demon, half man, half woman, all the wrong proportions, just ugly. And the proper worship of that demon is child sacrifice. Know that and look at this world and tell me this isn't his age. There are no great heights to ascend to. This ridiculousness, key point, Boeing is one of those companies that has gone full woke for profit. They will do nothing of any import. Their most recent aircraft got them in deep hot water with the Federal Aviation Administration. Why? Because they look to profit over safety for their very unoriginal designs. Unoriginal designs. Well, that's a hell of an accusation, isn't it? Okay, let me prove it. The design of Boeing aircraft have largely not changed since the 707. They had a blip for a couple of aircraft, the 727, which was a modification made to one of their platforms because of, because of the FAA and a really, really stupid regulation. But that, regulation, that re stupid regulation also managed to keep people safe. It cost the airline industry lots of money, but people, but it kept a lot of people very safe. They had another blip for the 747, quite possibly the greatest aircraft they ever made. But their 737, the 777 and the 787 all look exactly the same. In point of fact, actually, if you took the 37, the 67, the 57, the 77, and the 87, and the 7E7, and you compared them all one by one right next to each other, they all basically look exactly the same. It didn't take a whole lot of originality. And their most recent attempts at creating spacecraft alongside SpaceX in order, in order to provide transit for astronauts from the Earth to the International Space Station and potentially the Moon and beyond has up to this point been a total and utter disaster. And it's been such a disaster that they've lost at least 25% of their workforce to a good company called SpaceX. And they're running the risk of total collapse because the people in charge are those type of people who can't see the forest for the trees, who reject The, the very, I mean, the, 
they're basically enthralled the banksters. And when you get that obsessed with money, you don't really have that much of a choice but to pretty much reject anything resembling God. And so they're going to fail. And they're going to fail big. And the same is true for the colleges. In fact, the same is also true for pretty much every level of the education system. There are very few industries that are going to survive this upcoming reckoning. And all of those industries are going to fail because, specifically because they cannot pull their head out of their butts long enough to see that there really is a God. And they really will be held accountable. And they should probably fix their crap. But that same thing also holds true for the country, for politicians, for the military. The same thing holds true all the way across the board. If we don't pull our heads out of our butts long enough to recognize that there is a God and that there are expectations on how we live our lives as a result of that fact, and oh hey, by the way, there are things that are written across the cosmos to reinforce that fact that we simply cannot recognize because we refuse that fact, we are coming to utter desolation. And if we don't hurry up and fix that, before too long, people are going to think that the time when man took to the skies and could circumnavigate the globe in hours if not minutes, when we touched the stars. Before too long, there are people who are going to believe that that was a metaphor. And when I say before too long, I mean, it probably won't be more than three to four generations hence. And what a dismal, dismal life that's going to be. People will know the name Gregarin. Maybe. They'll know the name Armstrong. Maybe. They'll know those names and they'll think they're myths. Names like Doolittle. Gone. If they know the name Doolittle at all, it's not going to be Curtis. It's not going to be the pilot. It's going to be the fictional story about the doctor who supposedly could talk to animals. And to be sure, the stories about about Gregarin and Armstrong and Aldrin, they're going to be just as mythical. They're going to be as about they're going to be about as relevant to us as the story of Achilles. the story of Ganymede. Do you want that for your future? Do you want that for your kid's future? I can tell you for sure I wouldn't want to live in a future like that. And if I live to a hundred and we don't turn this ship around soon. 
if I if I live to be a hundred years old, <coughs> I'll get to witness exactly that. A world where they don't believe the earth is round. despite the fact that we have our capacity to communicate around the world aided by satellites to do so. <coughs> I mean, we're not still using AM communications to communicate around the world. We're using, we're using light waves that in order to actually transfer from one location to another, you need the line of sight. And the only way you get the line of sight is by satellites because... Without the satellites, there's no way to fire the light beam that is a radio that is the modern radio wave <clears throat> from Washington D.C. to Tokyo, to Moscow, to Buenos Aires. I know it was a long time to get to the point of the story. I know it's a long story. If you made it this far, I tip my hat to you yet again. Our scientific knowledge is decaying, and it is decaying specifically because our religious knowledge is gone. What actually keyed it in my head was looking at a video clip of scientists, astronauts, from 50 years ago who pointed out specifically that we have the faculties that we have because of God. And when you talk to the ones who are utterly failing in the industry today, they are failing in the industry today. Why? Because they don't have the intellectual anchoring to do the job. And if we carry on in this direction, We'll be back in the dark ages before too long. I would recommend that you pray that it doesn't happen because there's a long road of suffering on the way there. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen.